When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to the Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by 12 Gauge Outrage. They rock. Today's episode is called F1 and Chill. I'm your host, Richard Spannersready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? Oh, you know, it's been a very calm afternoon. Not like I just finished a 3,500-word article and pasted it on the presses before jumping onto the show or anything like that. Well, it is a late night for us as well in the UK, but we're pushing ahead with an 11 p.m. recording to get it out for your Monday morning commute. Thankfully, we've been kept up and excited, Matt, by your US razzmatazz. Indeed, we do like to deliver on the showbiz part of the showbiz. I loved it, man. It's exactly what I asked for a couple of weeks ago when I was talking to you. Treat the drivers like heroes. Announce them as they come in. Let everyone in that stadium be under no doubt that it is about 20 gladiators in their race cars. Yeah, and they did a great job getting Michael Buffer in there and making all sorts of noise and hoopla and watching my jiggers. It was fantastic. And given that that's exactly what I asked for, I can only conclude that Chase Carey listens to this podcast. I wonder if he's in the live chat room. Probably. So I know it's really late, but I do love getting these shows out for a Monday morning commute, even if they're late. And with the support of the Patreon's cash donations, it gives us a real incentive to get the show out of the door. And even if we put out a poor effort tonight, will you forgive us if I say that in addition to this, on Monday night, Joe Saywood is going to be joining me from Austin, Texas. And what if I said to you that a former Formula One boss from this decade was going to be speaking to us on Missed Apex podcast? Do you think they'd forgive us then, Matt? I think they probably would. We are an independent podcast hosted on MissedApexPodcast.com. Shout out to Felix for making that look pretty. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. We are joined by our racing analyst, Alex Jeansy Van Jean. How's it going, Alex? 
all going well now that I have my setup working in a new house or something different. But I'm psyched up and very happy and excited to talk about today's race. Awesome. And back from the wilderness and the Rocky Mountains is Vortex Motio. Ken, how's it going, buddy? Hey, it's going okay. Pardon my, I got a funny voice, afflicted with a cold, but otherwise ready to rock and roll. You're very brave. Thanks for fighting through on our behalf. And coming in last minute is Rainbow Sparkle Stevens joining us. Chris from Formula One Spy. Hey, how's it all going? Very, very good. And we are also joined by a live stream. You nutters, it's 11pm. Go to bed. But given that you're here, uh, thank you very much. Make sure you direct comments at us during the show. And if you want to join the live stream, go to YouTube, look for Missed Apex Podcast and click subscribe. So, Matt, obviously, F1 and chill was to do with Liberty Media changing the way we're going to watch future Formula One races. They say it's live streaming. It's probably not going to happen in the UK because Sky has this locked down and increasingly so. But you guys are going to get some kind of Amazon Netflix type deal. Yeah, well, it's actually a dual announcement, and it remains to be seen whether you will get to taste any of the glory along with those of his favored souls over here on this side of the pond. But they're doing some sort of deal with Netflix, but not necessarily for live content. So this could be like recuts of old seasons, could be driver stories, could be anything we don't know. But then they also mentioned delivering their own live uh, experience over the top around ESPN, with whom they've just done a new deal for 2018. That I don't think you're going to be able to get your hands on, because as I understand it, the current Sky deal runs through 2024. Sorry about that. It's a shame, though, because Sky obviously has that package, but we would still be able to benefit, Chris, wouldn't we, from all the additional content that Matt's talking about? And I feel like we're really going to feel like we're missing out. Um, It's an interesting one. I mean, streaming is where everything seems to be going, but I am not necessarily a, f- a fan of it and yeah definitely we are going to be missing out on it because sky have got as you say this is locked down until 2021 i believe or something like that so alex then before we started the race we were treated to what to a lot of people was a brand new driver in brendan hartley but you guys uh, you bradley the rest of the racing fraternity you're very aware of this guy was it exciting for you to hear that he was coming into f1 yeah, I mean, I met Brendan back in um, 2011 when he came and did a round of BRKC and he didn't win, which is great because he was testing F1 at that point as well. Um, so, yeah, no, it's great to see someone who I've raced with at a tiny rubbish kart track in Cambridge somewhere racing in Austin, Texas in a Formula One car. It was really, really cool. Um, so it's nice to see some young talent or actually he's not even that young anymore, is he? But he he wasn't ready got himself ready, came back, and um, yeah, amazing to see um, someone who I know in an F1 car. It's great. (laughs) It's amazing. BRKC, for those people who don't know, is the karting championship run by Bradley Philpott, where you get some great karters in ballasted cars on indoor tracks. But this was back in the day when we were running outdoor tracks. So um, it was a six-round series based at different tracks around the country, and um, it was great fun. And um, it changed the way things are now. But, um, but yeah, back in the days, we had guys like him turn up and not win. I can't stress that highly enough. (laughs) An F1 driver came along to one of our events and didn't win. He might have got third, but I can't remember. Okay, Matt. 
So it was confusing as heck. Cars Hartley came into Kvyat's car. Kvyat jumped into Sainz's car. Nobody knew what car they were in. Everybody had penalties. And generally, people who qualified poorly started above where they uh, eventually qualified. Yeah, well, and, and this, was the, this was very confusing, and particularly with Toro Rosso, because technically, Kvyat moved into Sainz's car. And Hartley got Fiat's car, which we can also refer to the cursed car, because it had broken yet again and required a new yeah. engine, I believe, and some penalties. So he was always starting pretty much more or less from the back. But then more and more things broke as the weekend went on. And maybe not so surprising. Only four engines this year. Only three races left. Yeah, things will go awry. Yeah, Chris. Just to expand on the engine changes... Renault had brought an upgraded uh, engine, uh, internal combustion engine, for uh, this race. They brought three of them. One of them went into Hartley's car, one in, uh, into Hulkenberg's car, and the other into uh, Verstappen's car. It's sort of aimed at, at 2018, and uh, they say it's worth about two-tenths of a second because it's more aimed at a reliability upgrade rather than a performance upgrade. But that's why we saw so many uh, guys getting it, those engine penalties. So I know we're rushing along a bit, but I am desperate to get to the race because there was a lot that happened. But Ken, the reason why there was all this confusion at Toro Rosso was because finally Carlos Sainz got the big call, Palmer got the boot, and Sainz got his chance in the banana-coloured car. Yeah, and my goodness, I I cannot be more excited by what we saw from Carlos Sainz this weekend. I mean, right from the get-go, he was in it. And he was using that car. He was using those tires from Friday all the way to the checkered flag. I mean, what a, what a, I, I gotta say, congrats to Renault for wanting and working hard to get signs in that car because he is worth it from what we saw. So you got a good look at his qualifying. Obviously, we're not sure how hard Hulkenberg was pushing given that he knew he had penalties, but very impressive. Yeah, absolutely. I and and we won't see a Hulkenberg versus Signs uh, until maybe Mexico or something uh, like that. Since Hulkenberg, as you say, uh, completely different strategy. He knew he was coming out of the back, so they it was a different qualifying strategy. It wasn't a straight up, but that was the signs. I think we were all hoping to see is what we saw today and on. Saturday. So Hulkenberg now has a real competitor for qualifying. It's going to be very exciting. But Matt, I think I'm going to have to go to you for the rest of qualifying. Because given that I had not seen my wife for the previous eight nights, I was away having cocktails with a 22-year-old female subordinate. So as you can imagine, she was delighted. And I ended up having to spend all of the Saturday evening with her when I eventually managed to shuffle her off to sleep and tune into the qualifying. I promptly fell asleep. Yes, your um, drunken Twitter picture posting may not have been the smartest thing you ever did on that front. But glad to hear you were able to uh, mend fences, as it were. Nearly. Nearly. Uh, you'll never get them all the way mended, trust me. Um, yeah, so uh, qualifying was uh, pretty straight up. Hartley was nowhere, since people were interested in how he would do. Kvyat did a, a, actually a good job. Uh, the big difference, I think, was Alonso managing a P9 and getting out of Q2. He drove a lap that was just stellar, absolutely stellar, to make it into the last qualifying session um, compared to Van Dorn, who had been looking a little bit more racy. But I found out afterwards, and uh, you may have already known this, Stevens, that he had uh, basically a, 
almost a 2018 wing on the front of his car, which gave him a fairly significant advantage. And he was singing its praises after qualifying. He says it's probably the best step forward the McLaren have made uh, this year. So I would certainly hope that that would be on Van Dorn's car very quickly if it is the upgrade that we uh, are led to believe it is. Yeah, so Chris, though, as we got to the business end, now we've been talking all season about who has the fastest car, and quali modes aside, this was meant to be something that was going to suit Ferrari, being all pointy through sector one. But Mercedes had it, yes, Vettel got ahead of Bottas, but but Hamilton had this on pace. He did all weekend, but let's start with quali. Well, it's interesting. I watched that car, that Mercedes car, all throughout practice, qualifying in the race. And at no point did the front or rear of that car look compliant, uh, which is really interesting because it was obviously still very, very quick. But the thing that troubles me is that Ferrari arrived in Texas with an armada of upgrades. I've been talking to Summers quite a lot about this because I was quite keen to know uh, more about it. But they had a new front wing, barge boards, floor, diffuser, the works. And they still could not match uh, Mercedes on qualifying or race pace, which is slightly worrying. And Summers has uh, kind of uh, enforced the idea that it's only worth uh, a couple of tenths, um, these upgrades. But still, that, that's quite uh, worrying for the rest of the season. Right. Well, the, the response I have to that is I don't think Ferrari Wilmart will be able to match Mercedes in qualifying. I don't I think with the um, oil burn restriction and with them not being able to implement their proper upgrade of of the power unit they had originally planned, I I think that's off the table for them. They won't have the same engine power as Mercedes and Mercedes have that advantage in hand, although primarily with Hamilton, not so much with Botas anymore. What I do want to say is that upgrades or no first of all correlation can be tricky so sometimes you can show up with upgrades that don't either do what you expect them to or make your driver feel so unsettled that you might as well not bother either one could be the case but in austin in particular we had very high wind gusts we saw it catch out ricciardo during qualifying and it may just be that with that shark fin and with the particular arrow that ferrari is running they might simply be more vulnerable to those uh, crosswinds and headwinds when they are in yaw. And and you were correct, though. Neither car looked to be particularly drivable on Friday. And even though, you know, obviously uh, Lewis was able to get on top of it, he was putting in a lot more effort than usual to get that thing around the track. So I don't think it's done and dusted. Mercedes now has the best car, and that's the end of it. We shall see in Mexico. Well, I, if I may jump in just real quick, I think in regards to, to qualifying and, and uh, Mercedes, as you say, Matt, that it, and I don't know really if the oil burning has all that much to do with it or not, but there is that extra uh, motor, uh, extra horsepower that Mercedes is able to apply and you could see it in the sector times uh, on Saturday that, you know, Mercedes uh, just was able to blitz uh, sector two with that really long straight. And uh, and then but going back to what um, Chris said, though, about McLaren and the upgrade that they brought uh, just on the Alonzo car, what was interesting that Alonzo said about the, the McLaren upgrades and 
And, and you can contrast, for instance, Williams, they bring upgrades and Masa is saying like, well, they're not really working. And that, that uh, being able to, to verify or correspond, Alonzo was saying everything that comes out of their wind tunnel that they bolt on the car at the track, it works. It works as they thought it would. And that's really impressive for the McLaren in the next season. You know, you would hope a, a team like Ferrari would be able to bring updates and have them work uh, immediately, you know, a, a big team like that. But I think what hurt Vettel as well, especially for qualifying, was that the fact that he lost uh, a lot of the qualifying simulation stuff from uh, FP2 after he made that mistake very early on in the session that sh- completely shredded a set of tires and then needed a, a chassis swap uh, overnight as well. After he said his front axle felt like jelly, which is quite an interesting quote, one of the more interesting ones that I've heard for a, for a chassis. Yeah, and probably a lot of us were chatting about it's maybe more of an indication about what is going on in Sebastian Vettel's head and uh, that he needed it to be absolutely perfect this weekend. And as we'll see as we go into talking about the race, perhaps not. <laughs> Okay, guys, you know that I just like to waffle on indiscriminately, but I do have enough respect for your ears to go to Matt Trumpets and ask where the race was won and lost. Well, in a nutshell, uh, at the start, at the start, we really thought we were going to have a proper race with Vettel getting the jump on Hamilton. But it became very clear when Lewis retook the lead that that was simply not going to be the case. The Mercedes had the race pace over the Ferrari, in these conditions, on this track. And it's worth remembering there had been a huge thunderstorm and that the track was fairly green and is shaking his head. So yes, you'll be able to comment in a moment. But equally important, the track temperatures were in the mid-30s, which is very much a Mercedes wheelhouse. And had they been into the 40s, we might have had a different story. Sorry, who was shaking their head? Ken. Oh, go on, Ken. Oh, well, I... I was just going to say, I, I I really don't think that the the big rainstorm had all that much effect on the. I, I, all the teams knew that that was going to happen, that um, was foreseen in the forecast, and I think they were compensating for that in their setups to some degree. It, it wasn't a surprise, and um, I, I didn't see it as a big issue. Yeah, okay with then, Matt. But as Sebastian Vettel did get ahead, I think it was apparent very, very early on that they had uh, they didn't have the pace to hold Hamilton off. And in fact, Jeansy, you were telling us about some comments Hamilton made about trailing Vettel at the start. Yeah, so in his interview after the race, he was talking about um, that when he was following Seb, he found it quite easy to follow Seb. But he also noticed that he was um, too fast through a lot of corners, using his tyres up quite a lot, a lot of uh, a lot of um, uh, sideways action, and also locking up the, top the wheels quite a lot, making quite a lot of mistakes. And he said from that point, he knew he could have him because he was burning up his tyres and letting his temperatures go through the roof. So I don't think it was necessarily the Ferrari didn't have the pace, because to be fair, once it got going, Kimi had decent pace in the Ferrari, actually better pace than Seb, really. Um and uh, I think Lewis just had the measure of Seb today. That's an interesting point you make about um, Raikkonen as well, because it's worth noting that of all the Ferrari upgrades, he wasn't necessarily running all of them. He only had, uh, I think it was the barge boards and the f- uh, and the front wing, if I remember rightly. He certainly didn't have the new diff- diffuser uh, on on his car. 
could all the upgrades that Ferrari had this weekend just been a reaction to the last few weeks? Bit of a panic that, oh crap, we're about to lose this championship and we need to throw everything we've got possibly that's in the that's in the bin at, at Marinello to try and make something work and make something stick. Could it have just been panic stations? I think at this point, anything that ends up in the car is aimed at 2018. Yeah, mostly aimed at 2018. And there could be a bit of panic in there. But the reality of what Lewis described was the fact that Ferrari's aero, for whatever reason, wasn't as efficient as it needed to be. He was overdriving to try and keep that margin. And that's why Lewis felt confident in his ability to take him. But even though that was the case, it was did not necessarily mean the race itself was over. And in fact, it was far from over. But the person who really got himself into tire difficulty early on was the uh, Red Bull of Daniel Ricciardo trying to take out Botas. And not once, but twice, he had a proper go and managed to just basically ruin his tires to the point where he was one of the earliest stoppers on lap 11. As it happens, fairly irrelevant because his Renault engine gave up the ghost on lap 16. But what it did do the way is, is what it did do is clear the way for Verstappen, who was on an unbelievable charge from the back and was up into the top ten uh, within the first ten laps. It really was a great charge. But before we move on too far, Chris, what about that battle between Ricciardo and Bottas? Yeah, it was fantastic, and I really enjoyed watching it. It's really great to you know see some proper um, scrapping, which I think uh, the Austin track does uh, allow for. I think you also need to have uh, a honey badger who makes outlandishly late uh, dives on the inside for turn one, which is always great as well. And, you know, there was an investigation about leaving the track, gaining an advantage. I think that was all a pish, to be honest. And uh, I think it worked out just the way uh, that it should have. Jeansy's going to be desperate to get into that, but we'll go into that as a comparison when we talk a little bit about the track limits that cost Verstappen later on in the race. Uh, but Matt, it was clear, though, for, that, that Ricciardo could not get past Bottas, yet had the pace to go. And he uh, sort of was uh, changing to a two-stop. And actually, a lot of people in the end ended up changing to a two-stop race, where on pace, you, you have to figure that the one-stop was probably what everyone wanted to do. Well, I think the teams always prefer doing a one-stop. But the fact is, uh, Pirelli offered up three strategy recommendations for the tires. The top two were both two-stoppers, ultra-super, ultra-ultra-super, or ultra-super-super. And uh, only only Hamilton, um, only Hamilton at the sharp end actually ran a one-stopper, which was their third recommendation. And this comes into play later on, but even at the first pit stop, it, it was obvious that Bottas was struggling much more than Hamilton. Bottas. Yeah, exactly, exactly what I said. No, it isn't. Very good imitation of me saying it. Congratulations. Okay, agree to disagree. Uh, you are tired. <laughs> look, like, the announcer guy show. said, introducing Bottas. And look, he's an American like you. He speaks for all Americans. Therefore, you now have to concede forever that it is not Botas. You are wrong. Uh, except for the fact that for me, that is a correct pronunciation. So therefore, I am correct in my correctness. Pronunciation, yes. Okay, so have I thrown you off completely? No, in fact, we were discussing the first round of pit stops. And what was interesting about that was that um, Vettel came in and Lewis stayed out. And Lewis, uh, they ran a radio message, which 
aren't always synchronized in time. But he said he was perfectly happy on his tires. But as I was sat there watching Vettel's first lap, first full lap on the soft tires they kicked him out on was nearly two seconds faster and almost immediately was putting Lewis in danger of not being able to get through the pits and out ahead of him. But they still chose to bring in uh, Botas first, which I thought was an astonishing thing uh, for Mercedes to do. But also clearly they were concerned about trying to preserve his podium position and were willing to let Lewis have his way for another lap. Yeah, so Sparkles, it was very much Hamilton saying, I'm fine. But then afterwards, he certainly felt the pinch. And I think an early contender for a Pony Award was his comments on the radio saying, how on earth did it get that close? Which I I can't really understand. I mean, yeah, they want to keep it to um, the limit. Uh, They knew that the undercut was going to be worth a a considerable uh, amount. Uh, I think it's one second-ish a lap uh, if you come in earlier than your rival um and i guess maybe they i suppose they just want to cover it off and and try and extend that stint as much as possible so that they are uh comfortable for the end of the race and you know you you build up that early lead because you don't know what's going to happen later in the race like max verstappen prompting a second round of pit stops for example and that's it and that's what i was going to say which is Matt, the race pretty much went to sleep at that point and it kind of went on pause for 19 laps and then suddenly verstappen was like nah, I'm having some new boots. And then everyone's like, dude, Verstappen's in. We know what Verstappen does. We need to do something. Well, yeah, the race at the front, very much so. The race in the midfield was an entirely different sort of scenario. Um, And I have to call out both Sebastian Ocon, who had a very brilliant drive and in fact managed in his start to get all the way up to P5. And not showing any favoritism here at all, am I Vortex? Carlos signs making hay in his uh, brand new Renault. Yeah, and you know what's great about um, <clears throat> about this track? I think what happened today is that we're seeing the drivers themselves making the difference. In particular, and, and I want to go back to what Jeansy had mentioned. You know, in regards to uh Hamilton versus Vettel and how really the race was won and lost right there in that first stint and that Hamilton had no problem uh hanging back and watching Vettel and saw that Vettel was overdriving the car and and uh and and Hamilton had all that all that in reserve and then he was able to extend that stint and he tells his team hey I'm comfortable on these tires it was a brilliant performance and and you know i'm i'm not a ham fozy uh i appreciate mm. all drivers but let, let's be honest we're we saw a, another beautiful performance with the way that he was able to get into the groove of that track and he was able to extend the life of his tires and you look at what he did versus his teammate who um fought and lost to even stay on the podium when mercedes really needs two strong drivers uh to yeah and and so what you're saying here ken is you're putting signs in that category you're thinking he's going to make a real difference now obviously we were robbed seeing him up against hulkenberg but do you anticipate for the rest of the season that we're going to see you know signs starting to make his reputation now 
Well, it's it's uh, given it, it's hard to say with signs because recently he's been making mistakes on Sundays that he should not be making. But when he's on it, and we saw that today, he uh, is um, kind of smart in the way that Ocon and Perez are smart, as well as Hamilton, obviously, and that they're thinking about the whole race from the from the start to the checkered flag and he drives for the points and tries to maximize and he's he can be really smart and he did that today uh and holkenberg is fast on saturdays and does pretty well on sundays but it's always good to have two drivers to push each other hard i think uh holkenberg needs a bit of a kick up the backside uh in terms of a teammate battle and i think science is definitely uh going to be giving him that he was on the pace straight away which is fantastic yep, yep. To see. and also move of the year on sergio perez that was simply astonishing he'd set that up for about six or seven corners and to have made a pass all the way through that long right hander and through turn 19 amazing truly astonishing Okay, but just like in football, if you bang one into the top corner and the keeper just stands there, it does not look as good as when the guy, the, you, the keeper is flying out to the left and he gets his fingertips to it. It looks even better. Perez made that pass look good because Perez was defending hard and he had pace. Is this the one where Science went up the inside of the second to last corner? Did that one? Yeah, that was, I mean, and that was overtaking a corner you, you can't overtake on. That is a downhill corner on a negative camber. That is a really, really tough place to overtake. And you know when a move's good when Martin Brundle is almost out of his seat getting all rather wound up about it. Um, but no, I think across the field, we saw some incredible um, defensive and offensive driving all the way up and down the field until Ericsson got involved. <laughs> we'll get to that, don't worry. I'm so glad we're getting into this because uh, for me, the Perez thing, uh, and the science thing, and then the science and the Ocon thing uh, exposed a real uh, rift, for lack of a better word. I mean, there was Perez. Oh, Ocon needs to go faster. I have so much pace. Let me buy. I promise I'll give the spot back. Here comes signs. What happens? Pass of the day. Done. Before end that happened. Race, end, end of the race. Signs. Well into DRS lap after lap after lap what is the one thing he cannot do oh get by Ocon I think Perez was pace maybe he had over Ocon I doubt it seems now like he was very much bluffing and if I was running the pit wall for his India I would just be ignoring every last call he put into me I mean I hate to say it but that's what it looked like well um Sky had Marsaf now on their pit wall as, yes, uh, as, who kept them coming in and he's actually really really good on there yeah. I really enjoy having him on there and um, he was saying when that happened they literally got him on the radio and said what have you told them said well we've told them to remain stationed and all the way through Perez's I think he ranted for about two laps and all of a sudden six tenths six tenths six tenths and Ocon was gone anyway so Ocon was doing as he was told by the pit wall holding up to a particular pace and then he went yeah, I mean, they literally told Perez, uh, Ocon's doing conservation. Um, you kind of need to be doing that too right now. Yeah, reminds me of China 2014, Chris, when everyone was whinging that Rosberg should have been let past Hamilton. But hey, you know, I, I let things go, so let's move on. 
Oh, absolutely. But I've got to say that that whole scenario was set up by Force India's early pit stops. And the fact that uh, science came in much later, it just left them totally exposed for the rest of that race. Well, they got a bit cocky because, again, Otmar Safmau came on, on the on the radio and was like, oh, it's all right, we're not racing Williams, they're fine, uh, we haven't got to worry about them. And all the while, it's like they didn't notice that Signs was catching at a rapid rate of knots. Now, Sainz, I know um, Max Verstappen got driver of the day today, but for me, it was... It was I it was am signed. shocked. Did he really get driver of the day? Wow. <laughs> no, that is astonishing. Now, I think it came as quite a surprise, Sainz's pace. Um, really, I certainly it wasn't. I wasn't expecting him to be able to battle the Force Indias, especially after qualifying. So, yeah, that, I think it came as a surprise to us all. So, I can forgive Otmar for that one. Okay, so before we go on to the second stage of the race, let's be in no doubt whatsoever. Carlos Sainz is a fantastic driver, and he is somebody who is destined to go forward and give him the right car. He's going to be a world champion, and I'm going to make Joe Saywood admit this at some point in the future if he continues to be in the show because I don't think Joe's that impressed with him but for me he matched Max Verstappen and politics aside it was a coin toss over who was going to be at Red Bull and it could be signs in that Red Bull right now picking up race victories this season as far as I'm concerned Jeansy it wasn't really a coin toss it was more the fact that Max is the more exciting driver that was the reason for it nothing to do with I think they were actually quite level I think the pace showed it but Max is more exciting yeah, and uh, sorry, chat room, we've not gone much to you this evening. Blackout19 says, the surprise for me was with science was how quick he was all through FP1, FP2, and FP3 right out of the box. I know Andrew Benson on BBC always talks about the sign of a great driver is how quickly they pick things up in new situations and how quickly they adra- uh, adjust. Matt, let's go on uh, with the race, though, a little bit, because... It was at lap 39 where Max Verstappen decided to pit, stick on his fresh boots, kind of that same cascade effect that Red Bull have often caused and have kind of uh, made everybody react to it. Obviously, Hamilton didn't respond. Bottas didn't respond. um, And Vettel did. Now, I will start off by saying I think this season in particular, we have seen that the tactic of going for a shorter stint at the end with softer tyres is basically the equivalent of NFL's Hail Mary. It very rarely pulls off. It's, we've got no other option. We can't beat him on these tyres. We don't have the pace. Let's try something different. It excites people because they come out of the pit box and start setting purple sectors. But it's just not something that works. Well, it depends on the math. It certainly worked for Hamilton in Canada more than a few years ago when he was in the lead of the race and pitted for new tyres and came back out and passed everybody. But you're right. It's a, it's a move more often employed by those who know they don't have a straight-up pace on tires of similar age to get by. And it's employed by those who don't have the arrow to make the tires last. Now, to me, what was immediately astonishing was that Ferrari up and up admitted they were so worried about Verstappen, they weren't going to pit Raikkonen, whom you might have expected, but they were going to pit Vettel, who was currently ahead of the Raikkonen-Botas battle, and to give him new tires. And they did it at a pit window that saw him out with less than a second on Verstappen as they began to chase down the battling pair of Raikkonen and Botas. Yeah, so, and then Hamilton, he's committed to that one stop. Do you think he was in danger at any point? Well, I don't think he was immediately committed to it, but it was a surprise to me 
the pace differential, like in their first lap or two, it was, again, it was, it was well over a second a lap they were taking out of Hamilton and his window closed very, very rapidly. And I think you could take Vettel's being pitted as an admission. They were just not managing the tires as well as Mercedes in the front was. But what the other surprise was, and especially given his history, was the fact that they left Botas out because he is not known to be always the best at managing his tires. And this left him completely vulnerable at the end of the race. I think Mercedes may have given up a podium by not fitting him along with Vettel and Verstappen. So Chris, was the temptation to use Bottas as a blocker and would it have been better if they'd have just given him fresh boots and say, go to town? Because when is he strong? When is he punchy at the start of stints? Well, for Lewis, this goes back to what I was saying about creating the gap that you uh, need. And that's probably why he was able to make the one stop work. But for Bottas, it's tough. I think that they maybe just decided that if we do the same as, as what Vettel does, will come out in second because you know as soon as Vettel came in and put in that one lap time Bottas was going to lose out to him and to Verstappen as well so pretty much at that point you're committed and I know it's it's a track that's maybe easier to overtake on the most circuits but you would always take track position over uh, anything else Uh, especially with the aero regulations of the way they are at the moment it is tough to follow uh, and so I think you should always take track position. To be fair, regardless, at the end of the day of the top five drivers, Bottas was the slowest anyway. So it made no difference. I don't. I don't it doesn't matter what strategy he was on. I still think he'd have got done by um by everybody. Uh, low stealth in the chat room is saying they were hedging in case Lewis didn't have the pace he said he did. But really, in the end, when I was looking at you know the differential in lap times, uh, Lewis probably had ten laps to spare in order to ha- uh, hold hold off anyone who was coming through. But tell you who didn't have a lot of uh, space to spare is the Ferraris. But here, for once in the season, let's give them the credit for what they did on the pit wall. It was incredible to hold on to Verstappen's second place. Because, Matt, uh, Verstappen was coming through with the pace to take both of them. Did you catch the conversation that Vettel and Bottas were having afterwards and the little thing they did to keep Verstappen behind? Uh, they, were, they were basically saying that Sebastian Vettel slowed down enough to make sure that Kimi Raikkonen had DRS to help him hold off Max. Yep, that's a properly good teammate, especially because, much like Bottas, Raikkonen was not given the advantage of fresh tires to defend himself with. So you think, well, that's the least you could do for your teammate. And and sadly enough, it didn't really work, except for it kind of did work after all, once the race was said and done. But I think we're saving that entertainment for just a little bit in the future. We are, we are. Don't worry about that. But uh, Chris, I mean, what happens if Vettel ends up somehow winning the championship by a point or two? Then that will have been crucial. People don't like team orders. I love it. I love it when two guys work as a team, when they're doing the drafting at Monza to get a better pit lap, when one car is playing a block. I don't know why that's seen as bad. I see that as the ultimate in team sport. I think the problem people have with team orders, certainly the issue I have, is when you tell them not to race. That's the issue that, that I have. Here, it made perfect sense because you had two guys on very different strategies. The speed differential was enormous. You know, it made sense. But when you tell them to race, you get two guys in pink cars that smash into each other all the time and race and team orders 
have to happen. Um, Ferrari, it's more clear cut. They favour Sebastian over over Kimi, and Kimi hasn't been at the races this year. Um, it's an it's a necessary evil, unfortunately, because if you can't trust your drivers to race, you've got to stop them because the points are more important for the team. James Funnel, F1 is the ultimate team sport. 1,500 people back at the Mercedes factory should not be ruined by the ego of the two guys spearheading it on track. And uh, it's amazing. I loved um, the Force India team principle just being really unapologetic about it. It's like, nope, we've got our places. We're staying put. As much as I want to see those guys battling, I hope they start again next season afresh. I hope those two guys really, really get to race. Uh, right then. So uh, I think we're going to go on to... Whose fault is it? Yay! I love apportioning blame because my wife tells me that's how we have to live our lives, apparently. It's okay. It's only forever until the sweet release of whatever comes next. You know who else feels that way? Tell me. Nicky Lauda. Why is that? Oh, he flat out said it's always somebody's fault. I love it. Him and my wife would get on very, very well in a restaurant while I sadly sipped on whiskey. Excuse me a minute while I put this cup to my lips. Ah, happiness. Okay, so whose fault is this had uh, three parts as far as I'm concerned. Uh, It wasn't really a race where people were banging a lot of wheels, but let's quickly cover the first contact of the race. Was there anything wrong with the defence jeansy that Hamilton put on Vettel? because he squeezed him very far onto the left. Then he gave him quite a lot of room going into the braking zones, and then Vettel actually moved in the braking zone, something he got very, very upset with Max Verstappen about. How did you see that turn one encounter? Lewis did exactly what Seb should have done in Singapore, and that's as clear as cut as it is. It was was firm but fair. He, He gave him enough room. It was It was actually clear cut. I don't think it needs to be talked about. It was that simple. So he went over quite aggressively, but when it came down to it, he realised that he needed to leave racing room. But Chris, I mean, clearly Vettel in the braking zone did move outwards to give himself a better line into the apex. Exactly what he was ranting at Max Verstappen for in Mexico. Hey, I'm, I'm amazed that this is even on the agenda. Well, it's this not. Is... I just threw it in. Well, okay, did they even touch? Enough, they did touch, know, yeah. They were, it was the minutest, teeniest, weeniest, ounciest bit of contact between the wheels and uh, one of the, f- the front M fences. It's, there's nothing to it. Lewis realised he'd lost the corner. He went a bit wider to try and cut back on the exit. That's, that's all there is to it. Aww. And set so, that space. I think mm. Oh, well, that's not very fighty at all. Well, it, presumably then there'll be nothing controversial whatsoever to talk about now. So let's go to Marcus Ericsson on KMAG 1 and two. I think the first one seemed quite clumsy by Magnussen for me. I would apportion that to, to K-Mag. But then the second one from Ericsson just seemed brainless. He just left his front end in and just took Magnussen out for com- no reason whatsoever. I think the problem for that was it was always difficult because they were unsighted because they were being lapped by Seb, was it? And um, I think they just got. I think they both got unsighted. When I first saw it, I thought K Meg could have left him a little bit more room because he pinched him a bit. But at the end of the day, I don't think um, I don't think Ericsson had much of an idea of where he was going, and he just launched it at the apex. I just want to put in a word for Ericsson here. Oh, we're losing you, Matt. You're breaking up. You're breaking up. I can't hear you. Oh, I might have to. I might have to hang up. Fine, I go on. I a word for Ericsson here. Ugh. What an astonishing driver. I think he's the only <laughs> driver in Formula One 
who had actually get blamed for an incident with Magnuson at this point. And it's spectacular. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. I don't care. You're, if you're going to praise Ericsson at all, I'm officially triggered. <laughs> Retreating to your safe space, are you? Fair enough. Okay, so I'm happy to blame Ericsson fully for both those incidents. Fantastic. What a liability. Get in the sea. Get in the sea, Marcus Ericsson. Okay. Wait, wait, you're not talking about the first lap incident with Magnuson, eh? Yeah. That was Verline. Was it? Was. Are you sure? I was oh, right. Okay. That. I apologize. That's what yeah. ended his race. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I was completely lost on yes. that one then. In my oh. eagerness, in my eagerness to, um, to blame Ericsson for stuff, I was wrong. But first. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. First. Well, there you go. And for that one, I would portion blame to Magnuson. Okay, so let's go around the panel then. What do we think of Magnuson in general, Ken? Because he's not making any friends, yet somehow, somehow, he, the unapologetic way he continues to behave as Magnuson-ish as possible is for some reason endearing in a way that I might not find with another driver. Well, <laughs> that's a great question. And, and I got to be honest, uh, I am not a big uh, Magnuson fan, and I tend to take the viewpoint of... Uh, the team principal, and if I was a team principal, and it, and Jeansy put it quite well, actually, that KMAG could have left a little bit more room on that apex, I thought, even though Erickson um, was a little bit sloppy trying to uh, dive in there. Uh, at the end of the day, what was the result? KMAG was bumped out of the way, and if he left a little bit more room and been conscious of that, then he could have been fighting uh, for a higher position and 
well, let's face it, they're not going to get some points, are they? But uh, in any case, when you have a driver that keeps does not make it to the checkered flag and you're wondering whose fault it is, then I'm disappointed in my driver if I'm the team principal. Okay, Chris, I'm going to go to you first for the last one. It's not really a whose fault it is, but this this is a great place for it. As we know, Max Verstappen was pushing the two Ferraris at the end. He was all over Kimi. He had the pace on Kimi. But I believe at turn 19, he ended up crossing track limits with all four wheels off the track as part of his overtaking maneuver on Kimi Raikkonen to get into third place. He was subsequently handed a five-place grid penalty, which moved him down to fourth. In my opinion, entirely fairly, and I cannot think of a reason why this would be justified, but I would be delighted to know if I was wrong. Uh, yeah, the five-second time penalty, in my opinion, completely uh, justified uh, because he did fully uh, leave the track, cut the track, and passed Raikkonen as a result. Now, I know that there is a lot of controversy about this because people have been running off the track all weekend um, but in, in my opinion, there is a difference between running wide on the exit of a uh, of a corner and then actually passing a competitor off the track, which is what we are dealing with here. The trouble is, one is clear cut, the other is not. So when I put in our uh, podcast WhatsApp group and I said what exactly what you said separately without reading what you said, I said it's completely different uh, track limits on the outside and the inside. Bradley Philpott messaged and said, no, there's no difference. Why are you such an idiot on this? I think meaning track limits in general. But Matt, I think you felt that maybe it was harsh or maybe it was understandable in some way. Well, to be clear, first of all, I wasn't sure it was an actual penalty because the cut that I saw showed Verstappen exiting the corner after he cut. And he was clearly, although inside Kimmy, was clearly on the track and that's where that's where the television coverage i was watching made it look like the overtake occurred it was only subsequently that i realized that it was the corner before where he went far off and about that i have two things two points that i wish to make point number one and i think this this was the most problematic uh the stewards made that decision without hearing from verstappen or horner and because it's a five-second penalty, there's no appeal for it whatsoever. So whatever case they might have made was never heard by the stewards. Now, I don't know about you, but being from over here in America, usually we give people accused of a crime a chance to answer for themselves. So modestly speaking, I would argue that's a procedural issue that they should probably address. Okay, well, let's get Ken in on this. But firstly, it is my understanding that the rule for cutting a corner and gaining an advantage as matt says it's really a good point because it's during the time of the overtake so as you're making that place if you are off the track you you have to give that place back now if he got the overtake done and then went off track limits which is what i think trumpets is inferring then you have to get into a different question which is not did he overtake off the track but did he gain an advantage off the track Uh, what do you make of all this ken well uh (laughs) Well, let me just say this. I I think the most disturbing thing about this whole incident is that there's there's any question about it. And and one thing that's been really interesting on Twitter is that what I've noticed is professional drivers in general, 
And this is very surprising because I, I'm with Chris. I think it was clearly he was he was off the track and he deserved that penalty. And I disagree with my friend uh, Matt Trumpets because I, I don't think that he should have that ability to appeal that. But my general point in regards to that whole issue is that there are um, that the drivers were saying that drivers were going off the track on corner exits all weekend long and it was never addressed and and that concerns me because if a driver goes off on corner exit and they don't gain anything if if the race director makes clear to the teams it's okay to to be off track on the exit of turn 19 because we don't see that as having gained anything well then that's great everybody knows what the rules are and you can drive appropriately right but drivers are saying that that's not that's not what happened and they're just all wondering well what are the actual rules it should never be run like that the race director should say okay you cut an apex that's bad. You you go wide on this turn or that turn on the exit. That's okay. That okay. Happen. Yeah, that's true. Jeansy, let's get you in on that because I know that you were concerned that, you know, the comparisons to other racing incidents kind of make this decision look a bit wishy-washy. So the biggest issue is, obviously, they've been lame on track limits all weekend, um, especially the exit, especially the exits of um, the S's, the first sector, and the exit to the penultimate corner. Um, and they should be getting penalised for that. The white lines define the surface of the track and define the limits of the circuit. Um, the reason this one is so bad is it is cutting across the inside of the track, shortening the track. Still, cutting on the exit is still bad because you're opening up the track to give yourself better traction out of the corner. But... When you deliberately dive down the inside of somebody, cut yeah. across the curb to take a position, it's not. Wait a on. minute. So are you saying you agree with me and not Bradley Philpot? You agree with me and Sparkles that you should treat cutting the inside of a corner differently to runoff areas no. on the outside? No, not at all. No, I, I, I've been. It's annoying that they. Get, so I think Bottas should have got a penalty. Okay, so hang when, on a minute. So, Prince, so, the, so what about on turn nineteen? Lap. Oh yeah, sorry. We'll go back to that lap one thing. You're absolutely right, Jeansy. But first of all, what if at Austria, the penultimate turn, and in uh, turn nineteen here in Austin, Texas, if they just painted the lines out wider, and that was a legitimate part of the track, you would then be instantly placated. Sorry, Spanners. Can you say that again? Someone came in the room. Sorry. Absolutely. Look, we all understand that you are completely whipped, which is why you are in the back room with rubbishy internet. But hey, that's absolutely fine. But look, it, was my, saying... it, was my, it was my father-in-law actually letting <laughs> the cat in the room because the cat's going mental because he's outside the room. I am fed up with inside the room. I am fed up with cats and ducks ruining this podcast. <laughs> okay, so turn nineteen in Texas. If they just painted the line out to outside of where the cars were going and just say, "No, we're fine with that being the track," you would presumably then be happy. Because the track limit is then defined, yes? No, because then you're making the track easier. So the track needs to be defined, and the def- and the definition of the track makes, going nuts. <laughs> makes makes it much much easier. If if so, for example, turn one um, on the second lap when uh, Daniel Ricciardo made his first move. Yes, Daniel Ricciardo made his move, and Bottas went off the track and retook the position from um, Danny Rick off the track. 
That was not on, in my opinion, and he should have got a penalty for that. And I'm pretty certain Brad will agree with me on that, and most racers will agree with me on that. It's the exact same thing with Max, but on the other side of the track. Okay, everyone's desperate to get in. Ken, quick repast, then to Chris. Yeah, so let me just say, I'm with Spanners on this, and uh, yes. definitely against uh, Bradley Philpott, my good friend, and that... The, the the thing is is you know you draw you, you put out a big parking lot which is let's that's what coda is is a big parking lot of pavement out there and then you draw a pretty line all over it's a parking lot say, for okay, safety not this. for racing yeah exactly and then you say so if if and the thing is here's what's been consistent though with the FIA in enforcing those lines rules is that if you go wide and and Chainsy, as a racer, you should know this. So this is what surprises me about you and Philpott both making this error, is if you run wide, you take a, a line that's too wide, the guys that are able to take that line shorter, they're they're running less distance, they're faster, you go wide because... Do you know what? That's a really good point, Ken, and I, I would like to get Brad on just to answer that one point. But uh, Chris, you've been desperate exactly to get in. Hang on, Chris, you've been desperate to get in. Get in there. The thing with track limits, I hate talking about track limits. It's my biggest bugbear with F1 because it shouldn't be an issue, but it is because this is a tilka drone we're talking about. But it's that you should not be able to leave the track and gain an advantage in the first place. The track should be designed so that you are forced to stay within the confines of the racetrack for it to be the fastest way around. Don't make it possible to exceed track limits and get an advantage. We wouldn't be having this debate in the first place. Yes, we should absolutely, by all means, get rid of all of the laws of physics, which I happen to be studying with my daughter right now. Look, first of all, I think I know what Jeansy was going to say, and it's true. At a certain point, opening up the corner and running wide allows you a traction advantage that overcomes the less distance you are covering. Anyone who's ever driven a car, even if not in racing, understands this. And secondly, the point that I wish to make with my original statement, which I was most rudely cut off from, get it, cut, 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 was that, and I don't know, I will absolutely agree he went four wheels off on the inside. But what I saw in the very last replay, and I don't know if anybody else saw this or not, this is an honest question to the rest of the panel, was that as he was approaching that corner, first of all, Raikkonen had left him room to start making a move. I think we can all agree on that. His tires were done. He was not going to get near that apex. As he started to go by, Raikkonen twitched towards him. And it looked like to me he might have been reacting to that maneuver to avoid a collision rather than purposefully cutting the corner to gain an advantage. That said, had he done that, he still needed to give the position back. Okay, let's just go... Sorry, let's just go to the chat room quickly. Exulto saying, I wonder what the final positions would be if everyone with all track limit infringements were given a five-place penalty. Low stealth suggesting that Bottas should have stayed on track and therefore we could have extended the whose fault is this section. Blackout 19 says, white lines, three quarters of a car width off, then rows of nails. RJ Bone, spikes with poison, Christopher Fonseca, gravel traps, grass, thick curbs, sand traps, and a huge moat. FIA, just do something personally i think the solution is just a strip of low traction area so three meters of grass then a ton of runoff that is enough of an incentive to keep you off the track but will keep you safe once you do so jeansy um i think the thing you're missing with regards to that corner um, and i thought that first as well when you first come into that corner um you've got the apex opens up 
and Kimmy gave him the room. The problem is that second apex that's on that long corner jinx out. So Kimmy gave the room, but then the room was going away. Max had plenty of time to back out and get out of it. Instead, if you watch his input, he turns at the curb. Kimmy doesn't move and stays in a constant, stays on the racing line. And Max deliberately turns to the right and drives straight over the curb. See, I think the thing with that corner as well is that it's uh, a natural racing line to take a wider approach to that first part of it. And they tend to sort of sweep in a bit later. And I think that's why Raikkonen uh, looked like he was giving in the space. That's what's so inviting about it. But even if Max had attempted to make a proper move there, that was never, ever, ever going to come off unless he had done what he did. Because he, if he tried to have made that, that move legitimately, he would have slammed into Reich and they both would have been out. He wasn't alongside enough to make that move work from the start no. of that move. It was bold and exactly what I'd expect from Max Verstappen, but it wasn't on. And and the first time I saw it, I thought, yes, amazing. And then they cut to Lewis winning the race. And then they came back and it was like, oh, that's an amazing move. And then the second they showed the replay, I'm like, well, he's cut the corner. And that's the thing. And I, I don't want to take anything away from Max as well. He drove fantastically yes, today. Agreed. No mistake about it. P16 to P4, that is still amazing. And that is a top drive, and he should not at all feel ashamed of himself today. And, and, and let me just circle back around to the other player in this whole thing, which um, Matt Trumpets and, and uh, Jeansy just mentioned, which is Kimmy's, Kimmy's line. When I looked at that originally, I thought, oh, geez, Kimmy left the door open. But in, in reality, I think in part he was trying to take away uh, the possibility of um, Max trying to swing around on, on the outside of him and dive into the, the following um, turn that was going to end up being the left. There's a double apex right. And and, and in a way, I, I, I've been thinking we should credit Kimmy for having – well, given that he was out of tires, he just had a few turns to go to get to the checkered, and and I, I and he and he succeeded. Uh, the he was able to force a mistake by Max, and he ended up on the podium. So well done to Kimi. Kimi did a great job defending on worn tires with no fuel. Brilliant job. Absolutely, and um, so this has been a fantastic argument, Matt. It's making me think that we should just have like an argument cast. Well, we just come on and just argue for an hour. Let's pick topics that we know we're going to disagree about, uh, like Monaco, Rosberg, 2015, qualifying. But, you know, things like that. Let's just have a long list over the off-season where we just argue endlessly. And anyone who doesn't like listening to us argue can just dip out at that point. I absolutely love the range of opinions we have on this panel. And let's not forget that we have a regular 11-man crew on this show, as well as special guests Joe Sayward, Bradley Philpot, um, uh, Peter Wright, uh, Matt Summerfield, as well as just us mugs who come on here and, and talk about the race uh, during the race reviews. So absolutely fantastic. Over the off-season, I think something like this, as well as Room 101, where we consign our least favourite things about Formula 1 to the histories of... Um, the histories of history, I suppose. So, Matt, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about before we went onto the podium is the fact that, basically, Toro Rosso is getting Honda, uh, McLaren are getting their Renaults. Neither of them can be particularly happy with what they've seen from the engines they're about to get today. 
No, you, you'd have to say that eh, they both will still have some questions <laughs> about the validity of their choice. I yes. think McLaren is pretty happy. Um, and I, I think that may have more to do with uh, sponsors in the long run. And of course, you know, as Summers has pointed out, supposedly they do have Arrow to rival that of Red Bull. So theoretically, they should be in that Red Bull universe, of course. That also depends on the uh, software to properly optimize the errors and no telling of McLaren have developed or going to be able to develop that to the same level. But I, I for one, am very curious to see how they do with the Renault engine. But if I was Taro Rosso, I think I'd be okay with where I was because Honda, by their accounts, the culture has changed. And uh, if you were asking who's making the, who's got the biggest rate of change right now, engine wise, I think Honda is definitely making more progress than Renault is. Absolutely. Okay, then. Thank you very much for that. What I demand from you now is that you and Ken and possibly Anil get together midweek for a Trumpets Time show uh, where you discuss all of the news items that I so, so rashly rejected from the top of the show. Okay. Twist my arm. Let's get it done. And thank you to the patrons who are funding Trumpets Time. If you want to support us, go to MissedApexPodcast.com and click the Supporters tab. Okay, let's go to the podium. All right, final stretch, boys. The UK guys are struggling. The US guys still look all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, but the three UK faces are starting to flag a little bit. Chat room. Get in there with your thing of the week, Missed Apex Ward and Ponies in the chat room, and we will share them. Matt, did you not think it was fantastic how Usain Bolt learnt every single one of those lines and then delivered them? I thought it was amazing. I was also very impressed with his flag waving at the start. It was first rate. Let me let me just present the contrarian viewpoint here, if I may jump in real quick and say that... Um, while I'm a big fan of uh, Usain Bolt, I was not impressed with him as a uh, podium presenter. And and candidly, uh, if I may use my trademark word, I no one knows what it means. Much prefer. <laughs> I would much prefer to have somebody professional, a professional broadcaster, who would be able to ask intelligent questions who would be able to go with the flow a little bit better than these celebrities that that they're doing i mean i appreciate creativity and trying new things but they've already tried the celebrity stuff we already know that they're just faking it somebody's written out here ask this question ask yes. that question right and you can tell and it's just mediocre and this is supposed to be the pinnacle of formula of motorsports Formula One could be doing better than these celebrity yeah, okay. uh, guys. No, no, absolutely. It's a great point. But when Justin Bieber was there at Monaco, F1 was outraged. However, lots of Snapchat and Instagram went, wait, what? Bieber did what? F1 is what? And maybe they got interested. Furthermore, I would add that Lewis Hamilton in these podium interviews has so often rescued the interviewer because he knows exactly what is going on and yes i'm han fosi and you'll say i'm just being very very pro lewis but he has owned that podium in a way that nobody else has look what kimi raikkonen did when he was asked a question and he was interrupted by lewis hamilton pouring champagne down usain bolt's neck kimi raikkonen simply paused 
And then when that event was over, he continued his sentence from where it was going on. Hamilton adapts and adjusts to what's going on. He is definitely part of the F1 show. And if Formula One doesn't embrace these celebrities, they're never going to, they're never going to increase their audience. But Ken, you're right. Perhaps they could be shuffled, um, shuffled in at a, a different point than perhaps that fi- very final uh, podium interview. They should be accompanied yeah. by somebody professional. I think it's been done before. I think it might have been um, when Owen Wilson came on. He was accompanied by Jensen Button, maybe. Yes. Um, and he asked one or two questions. That was fine. So I think Owen worked. Wilson did the very send, first one. Send. Yeah, he did the first one with the winner. And then the professional motorsport guy did the remaining three. Correct. That works. Um, but to be fair, I think it should be down to Brundle, Will Buxton, yeah. um, DC, and Mark Webber. <laughs> I think they're the four best at it. And James Funnell says, you know, why no Will Buxton? But was not Will fantastic during the opening ceremony, Jamesy, where he was just running out and you have to be short, concise, get the question out, boom, done. It seemed like that wasn't planned and it kind of got thrown in. The The thing about the whole announcement thing was... It looked terrible. It was really badly done, but it got me really psyched up for the race. You think it was terrible? Um, I think it was so badly done. Whoa, no It was no so way. badly done. Okay, you it, could but, not be but, more but, wrong. But, but it got me excited for the race. It was a bit of razzle-dazzle, and I, <laughs> I enjoyed it. It was done badly, but I still enjoyed it. It should have been, what it should have been is all the drivers were already out there, bar Seb and Lewis, they called all their names out quickly and then did intros for Seb and Lewis. That would have been a better way of doing it. It would have flowed much, much better. Oh, as I'm a professional Chris, at these things. Come on, you're on my side. Bringing them through with sparklers and a big fanfare was incredible. I loved it. It's, that is now the only reason to tune in before the race. What, you want Brundle's grid walk? Really? That's your pre-race highlight? It's definitely. I do like the grid walk. The, you can't lose the grid walk. I wasn't. I'm not saying it can't work. I'm saying it need. It wasn't rehearsed, and it wasn't. It wasn't um, very slick. Okay. You can't tell me that was slick. <laughs> okay, so let's have our let's have our awkward British grid walk, and then let's let the Yanks do what they do best, which is teach us how to be entertaining and over the top. Chris, I'm not saying it shouldn't be there. I haven't once said it shouldn't be there. It just needs to be better than that. Sparkles, oh, you're boring. What do you make of it? It shouldn't be there. Boo. No, I don't. Is it, see, this, I'm terribly British about this sort of thing. And I was just kind of sitting there going, well, I haven't done anything yet. <laughs> it's a show, Chris. But the, the, no, I, I don't think it has a place in Formula 1, really. It's just wrong. Oh, gosh. Oh, come on. Oh, and by the way, um, someone in the chat room says, thing of the week, hands down, is Michael Buffer calling Kvyat Danny the Torpedo uh, Kvyat. But I believe that Will Buxton was asked to write those intros, which is why they had a very familiar tone towards the drivers. And that makes sense to you now, doesn't it, Alex? Matt? I would just ask Mr. Stevens, being all British and such, exactly how many people live in your country again? Well, what does that matter? 80 million? How many, how many people live in our country again? Who cares? Uh, way more so yeah if you're liberty and looking for eyeballs with yeah. all due respect mr restrained proper civility we might need a little bit of spectacle or all of us will lose the sport huh. we enjoy watching ahem ken oh come on okay I, i'm sorry you know matt you're my american brother and all that but i think chris's point is that uh and uh, let me use this phrase again this is supposed to be the pinnacle of motorsports and at the end of the day 
what are we all excited about? What are we here talking about? It's the motor race. We we came to watch an automobile race of the most talented teams, the most talented drivers. And so all of the razzle-dazzle stuff, you know, it, it when it starts to demean or take away from the main show, then why have it? Okay, Ken, I'm going to disagree with you before we go on to our rewards, because when you go and watch a movie in the cinema, there isn't some British guy shuffling out and apologizing. Hi, guys. Hope you're okay. Sorry to be here. Here's your movie now. Enjoy it. No, they have... And then a lion comes on the screen, Ken. A lion. Because you need an intro to be amazing. Um, I just thought I'd let you know. I just text Will Buxton. He just texted me back. He actually wrote the whole script. I just said that. Yeah, I know. You said he wrote Oh, right. He wrote everything. He wrote, he wrote the whole script. Dude, that is fantastic. And, and I think that works really well because the guy delivered it fantastically. That's what he does for a living. He's not a scriptwriter. He is a deliverer of amazing voice work and he did it. So, uh, boo to the naysayers, boo to the stuffed shirts. Well done, USGP, for delivering a spectacle. Let's move on to thing of the weekend. Let's start with Matt to Rumpet. What was your thing of the weekend? Well, oh my goodness, was this ever a tough choice? But I think I'm going to have to go with the actual racetrack itself. And I know someone in the panel dismissed it as a Tilki drone, but it's worth remembering that Tilki didn't actually design the circuit originally. And show me another circuit that has two separate turn complexes where we saw as many passes as we saw today. It's a great track. It is. It is, it is one of the best tracks for overtaking and spectacle on the entire circuit. And I, I don't care what kind of a face Sparkles makes. I'm right. You are not. It is the worst track. What? It is the worst track to have Get out. Get you out. are ridiculous. Get no, out. hang on. Let's, let's, everyone, let's hear his ridiculous points. Come on. Get out. Okay. All right. Well, oh, let's no. just be the S's at Suzuka or Maggots and Beckett's from Silverstone for the first sector. And then we'll have a stupid turn one where it goes up a thousand meters. And then we'll do this stupid thing where he can't let go of turn eight from Istanbul, can he? <laughs> it's okay. really good though. So, so, okay. So let's go. Let's get this straight. Let's get this straight. Let's get this straight. Everyone loves Maggots and Beckett's and the S's from Suzuka. They're some of the best corners on the circuit. Okay. Let's put that in. So that's fantastic. It shows the aerodynamics. It shows the air. Hang on. It shows the aerodynamics of the car. It shows the way the car set up. It's a brilliant, brilliant piece of thing to test a car, test a car and a driver's ability because it's incredibly technical and difficult to do. Um, Turn eight from Istanbul, one of the best corners ever devised. And we don't go to it anymore. So now it is on the circuit. But it's not as good, is it? It's, it's not as good as either of those. works brilliantly. I'll tell you why it works brilliantly for racing. So I was talking about this before. The reason it works so brilliantly for racing is because you have corners that lead from left to right and lead into other corners, which is what gives you the great racing. Oh, yeah. Like, that's such an original idea. I've never seen a track that goes left to right. Okay. So let me get this straight. Let me get this straight now. The drivers love this track. The teams love this track. The fans love this track. We get some of the best racing we've seen all season. So clearly it's the worst <laughs> track on the circuit. Is that really going to be your argument? Because okay. I don't know. I don't know if I put a lot of money on that. I'll be honest. Okay. okay. This has been a highlight of the season. I just hate the track. Okay. Okay. <laughs> let's call a, let's call a halt to that. Great argument. Chris Stevens, what's your thing of the weekend? Wow. I'm so glad, I'm so glad Matt didn't say this, but it's Carlos Sainz Jr. How yes. can it not be? 
Yeah, a- a- absolutely a revelation. I'm really looking forward now to the rest of the season. I'm so pleased they got him in early and didn't wait till next season. Ooh, uh, Christopher Fonseca says, this, can this thing of the witty can be the podcast? <laughs> Coetic, uh, cha- Coetic, chaotic, but amazing. We're so sleepy, it hurts. Uh, but yeah, Carlos Sainz, absolutely. This is the beginning, isn't it? Oh, totally, totally. It's it's a revelation for him. We've got a proper benchmark up against him now for Hulkenberg as well. I think he's going to come into his own. Uh, James Funnel, the middle sector, presumably of the podcast, isn't great, but the rest is amazing. Ah, just like this weekend's race. Okay, so uh, Ken, what's your thing of the weekend? It has to be. Uh, so for, for me, Esteban Ocon, because while Carlos Sainz was good, Look who manages tires the way that Sergio Perez has done in seasons past and scored the big points and had a brilliant, brilliant defense against Carlos Sainz, who was really on his game today. Great performance by our young man, Esteban Ocan. Hard to disagree. And it's worth mentioning he was sick while he did it. Legend Jeansy, what was your thing of the weekend? So I'd originally written down after the first few laps of the race, uh, Bottas and Ricardo. But to be fair, we saw so much decent wheel-to-wheel racing. I think it's just the racing. The racing was fantastic this weekend. Actual wheel-to-wheel stuff, people going for it. Um, however, I do have a caveat that goes for K-Mag, who actually apologized after qualifying in the pen. <laughs> Yeah. Who'd have thought it? Yeah. The, guy, the guy can actually admit he's wrong. I think I've oh, seen no uh, K-Mag do a few things like that where he's just gone like that. And and I, I really am like one of these guys in politics as well. Why don't people just go, yeah, I yeah, I got that wrong and now I'm trying to do the right thing. Instead, everyone batters them and says, no, you're doing a U-turn. So yeah, let's let guys put their hands up and, and say when they've done something wrong and let's not see that as a sign of weakness. But more than that, Jeansy, the racing this season has been fantastic. Everyone was scared about these new regulations and I'm not saying it's perfect. It's a step in the right direction. Oh, definitely. I mean, the thing that was interesting for me anyway, um, was during that first stint, how close Lewis was able to hang with Seb. And everyone's been saying all season long that Merck can't follow. Well, Lewis had it covered. Actually, Bottas followed for quite a while. Uh, Did Bottas follow anyone today? Yeah, Chris is nodding. So, um, yeah, Bottas did some following as well. So maybe this track lends to it, or maybe they've just worked on it at Mercedes. So I'd like to give my thing of the weekend to Mercedes and particularly James Allison on the podium collecting the Constructors' Trophy. Let's not lose sight of the fact that Mercedes have won a fourth Constructors' title in a row. And what a story for that guy as well. He's had a rough year. We were critical of him last season. People were asking if he had led teams in the right direction. But there he is. He's at the helm of Mercedes, and they've picked up another World Championship. They have a great car. Now, the bad thing. We've been positive enough. Oh, no, you missed the apex. Treeface, my son, would like to know, who has missed the apex for you, Matt Trumpets? Haas. Haas. No point. Home race. Just hurts. Ken, are you equally hurt by Haas's inability to stamp their territory in the US of A? When they went to the trouble of getting an eagle to fly over the track, Haas could not even deliver. <laughs> yeah, that was funny, that eagle thing. Um no, I because Haas has no budget and um, they have their own issues. No, I I think uh, who missed the apex was uh, uh, our friend uh, Mr. Botas. Uh, in that, um, I think I saw a brilliant drive by his teammate, and uh, I was disappointed by Mr. Botas today. 
it's been getting worse and worse over the course of the season, particularly after the, the summer break. But it's really hard in F1 to know whether he is dropping the ball and making his teammate in a decent car look incredible or whether he has a world-class teammate who is just doing impossible things in his car and making a good driver look ordinary. Mm, yeah, I, you know, I, okay. I, here's, here's my thoughts on that in general is that it, it, it's a little bit the team's fault as well. And that when you're in that situation, the team needs to work with the driver to, to understand what the driver really wants out of that car. What every, every driver has a different style and they need to work with that driver to, help him find that speed that he has and um, go forward. But at the end of the day, you know whose fault it is, Spanners, and you'll appreciate this? Yeah. It's got to be Rosberg because Rosberg left the team with uh, a very hard choice and they ended up with Bottas because he was kind of the yeah. only, the best guy available. Absolutely. And, and, we're and here. even the Hanfosi have to admit now that Rosberg was a world-class driver who would be the number one in any of the top teams. Uh, in, in many ways, perhaps Rosberg was just incredibly unlucky to, to come up against a, a teammate who knew him inside and out and, and who is at the top of his game. But I don't, I don't think anyone was ever saying Rosberg was poor or Rosberg was terrible. Uh, perhaps I did. <laughs> okay, yes, fair yes. They were spanners. Trust me, they were, and they were wrong. No, but my 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 point was is that it's Rosberg's fault because Rosberg he wins the world championship and then he uh, after the season says that's it, I'm done, yeah. I quit F1. Right, he ran and away. He left his team in a very yeah difficult situation, and so they had to scramble to find a driver, and they had to steal him off of Williams, and he was like the best that they could find, and so it's Rosberg's fault that, in part, because you know Botas. I mean, and, and I say this as a Botas a fan. I think he's he's got a lot of potential. I still do, but uh, he really. It needs to perform better. Good. In the chat room, Missed Apex Award goes to the USA from Darren Johnson for not having the race a few hours earlier to be sociable to the Europeans. Oh, come on. We have it so good here. And I, I, I enjoy these late night races where I forget the time and I've just realized it's half past midnight and that we've overrun by some way. But it, that's what you get when I'm too tired to do good timekeeping. Christopher Fonseca says, emotions aside, Max Verstappen missed the apex uh, as he was penalized by the FIA. And then, bless the internet, James Funnel comes up and says, the FIA missed the apex with penalties, both grid and time for engine and that incident. Who have I not asked for a missed the apex? I believe Sparkles and uh, Jeansy. Sparkles, who missed the apex for you? Uh, Nico Hulkenberg's oil pressure. Oh, I know. What a shame. Absolutely robbed us of the battle with signs. Ken, sorry, not Ken, uh, Jeansy. So I was going to say um, Fiat being called Torpedo, because I don't think he wants to be called that. <laughs> but it's actually, I've just been told by Will Buxton that it's actually on his helmet. No, I think he likes it. <laughs> so I think he likes it. An insult that Sebastian Vettel threw at him, he likes. So um, I'm actually going, I'm going for Bottas, but in a different way, in the sense of his defence against Kimi was woeful. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't. even yeah. try. He said, there you go. There's a big open door. Go for it. And I was I was fuming because that's not how you defend when you're trying to um, stop another team, especially one that's right up your backside, um, getting close to you. Not impressive at all. Poor okay, form. so I will go to Matt and Matt only for the next award. Daddy, I want to pony. And I want 
want it now. To me, it'll go to Lewis Hamilton because, you know, he just the odd the odd radio call where he's just getting a little snarkier than required with his team. Who would you give it to, Matt? Oh, you know, I'm going to give it to Perez. Given half a chance, I give it to Perez. His his multiple laps of whining about having more pace than his teammate, utterly belied by the actual pace of his actual teammate, along with his ability to defend better. Yeah, I kind of put it in the bank for me. Has to go to Jos Verstappen for his Twitter tirade Ooh, after yeah. the race. Oh, yeah. Surely. Surely. I haven't read most of it, but I heard it all on Sky. That's how much they were talking about that... his tirade. It came up on Sky when Christian Horner was also moaning about it. Well, you can understand in the heat of battle they were upset, but I don't follow Jos Verstappen on Twitter. Does he tweet much? Or was this a case of like middle-aged dude is like, where can I vent? Ah, this Twitter thing looks good because there was about four tweets in a row. It's like typical karting dad who's getting all upset because um, their, their apparent superstar son isn't doing very, very well. I mean, okay, he does have a superstar son who is doing who isn't doing very, very well in this particular race, but oh well. Um, but yeah, Yoss just. But Yoss would have had a go at Kimmy if Kimmy did the same move and would have done the exact same tirade, but in the opposite position. Are so. you saying that human beings are situational and? base their arguments on their current position in relation to that argument i could quote the water wife paradox but i won't instead i'll ask matt trumpet curator of our chat room who has won this week's comment of the week well now this would be the problem with letting the show go long we have many many potential winners Sam Watley for the FIA DDOS, which we didn't talk about, but there was oh, an attack yeah. on the FIA site, equals more than 15 concurrent users out. No, no, no. Uh, right. Let's let's just quickly go on that. So there was a denial of service attack on the FIA website, which is basically when it is flooded to the point that no one can get in. If you want to be nefarious, you can deliberately target that. However, I am convinced that it was just Max Verstappen fans flooding it, being very unhappy because those dudes, those Verstappen Fossey are absolutely on it as far as fandom goes. Like you think the Ham Fossey has been a feature of Formula One. You ain't seen nothing yet. Those Max fans are fanatic, passionate and boss. They are indeed. Uh, we have Possessed Gamer. I say the signs and it opened up my eye along the lines of the famous song that we all know. Uh, we have Sandra Reynolds, Grid Boys, all about diversity. I'd getting in there a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I'd have them. Um, and oh, look, Blackout 19 saying the Finnish pronunciation is boat ass. Trumpets is correct despite being American. So I don't know how that got in there. Clearly a mistake. Uh, Sam Watley, again, Ferrari's fault when we played. Whose fault is it anyway? And Christopher Fonseca, is it possible for Ericsson to have a racing incident since we've never seen him actually racing? That one. That one? You think so? Right. What else he got? Um, Sam, again, if everyone got five seconds, we'd be into the 2018 season. <laughs> Low stealth, if you're going to be a bad podium presenter, be drunk like Patrick Stewart. Oh, yes. I saw that comment earlier. And Patrick Stewart was mint easily easily the best podium of the year and our emeritus winner blackout 19 jumps in again gentlemen start your engines followed by confused looks from the teams as they start their complex five-minute startup <laughs> procedure 
it's a shame that he's a legacy commenter. He's not eligible for this prize, unfortunately. Lowestyle says, Sparkles <laughs> is no fun. This is why we threw tea into the bay. And flatly, one more time, it's sport, therefore it's entertainment. If you don't like that, take it up with the Romans. Oh, Matt, it's between the... Anyone who disses Sparkles isn't with a chance, uh, and also Ericsson. So between those two, uh, the T comment for me is is nudging. T comment, I go for T comment too. Lowe's congratulations! You are the winner of this week's comment of the week. Comment of the week, guys. Make sure you subscribe to Missed Apex Podcast this week. That means on whatever you listen to your podcast on be it iTunes or Dogcatcher or Pocket Cast on Android, make sure you subscribe because you are not going to want to miss this week's uh, podcast, this week's stream. Matt has vowed now to do a waffle cast at Trumpet's time. Uh, I'm going to be speaking to Joe Sayward and the former CEO of a recent Formula One team. You are going to want to tune in, I promise you. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This is Mistake Apex. Oh, guys, it's so late. It's a good job we don't have jobs or anything. I'm working from home tomorrow. Yeah, I think I might have a... <laughs> I've got a bit of a cough coming on. I'm, I'm working to, from home I'm tomorrow. I'm going late. <laughs> Listen to you, it's not even one o'clock here. Ooh, yeah, but you're nocturnal, Stevens, because A, you're 12, and B, you've just got like weird jobs in media. It's not a real and job. And you don't have kids. I have a real job. I have a real job. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.